Well, brothers and sisters, we are in a study of the book of Hebrews, and if you will, please turn with me to the end of Hebrews chapter 6. Now, how many of you remember that the writer of Hebrews wanted to teach the Jewish believers about Melchizedek, but right in the middle of his preparation to tell them about the mystery of this person, Melchizedek, he had to stop and he said, you know what, you guys should be teachers by now, but I've got to give you milk. And he said, really? I mean, after Messiah has revealed himself, shared his nature with you, and Israel has tasted this, some of you have approached him, considered him, but you're wanting to go back? Come on. You can't do this. And so he had to admonish them. He had to really bring forth his argument as strong as he could. And now we're getting back to the issue of Melchizedek. Now he feels that after he, he kind of, you know, gotten them straightened up, and he said, now let's get back to this issue of Melchizedek. And we, we come to the end of chapter 6, and it says this, verse 20, where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. A high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, who is this Melchizedek, and what is that all about? In Hebrew, it's Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? What is this mysterious figure? We find him in Genesis 14. It's a situation when Father Abraham ran into this man. Let me give you a little of the backstory to this. Basically, Lot set his gaze toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and he separated. Lot is Abraham's nephew, and he went off. And uh, a number of kings came against him and abducted him. Now, Abraham was upset with this, and so Abraham took his people and went after his nephew Lot. Now, that tells you how big Abraham was. It just wasn't Abraham and his wife and Hagar and a couple people in a tent. He had well over 400 servants and, 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 and horsemen and so forth. So he went to war. So Abraham went to war against these five kings, took them out, got, Abra got Lot back, and he came back and he ran into this one named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. He, he ran into this king. Whoa. And, and he was a priest of the Most High God. Now where did he come from? I thought God had called Abraham out as, as out of his land. There was no one else who understood God, but that there's a priest called Melchizedek that does. Where did he come from? And so this mysterious figure is exactly the one that the writer of Hebrews wants to use to explain the priesthood of Jesus Christ in this new covenant manner. And so we start at chapter 7 now to see what he has to say. He says in chapter 7, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. He blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, he goes on to explain who this guy is. First, his name means king of righteousness. Melchi Zedek. Melchi is the term for king in Hebrew. Zedek is righteousness. You know, Jehovah Zidkanu uh, uh, is Jehovah our righteousness. So Zedek means righteousness. So 
His very title is he's a king. What kind of a king? What's his dominion? Righteousness. So his name is King of Righteousness. Then he goes on and he says, he's the king of Salem. Better in the Hebrew tongue, Shalom. He is the king of Shalom. You might know a city that's named after Shalom. It's called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of peace. Well, he just met the king of Jerusalem. He just met the prince of... Come on with me here. This is a cue. I'm giving you cues. I know, you weren't looking at me. All right, everybody look at me. He's the prince of... There we go. Who is this king of righteousness? Who is this king of peace? Right? This mysterious one. Now look, he goes on. Because you try to look at his genealogy. It says he's without father or mother. Without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. You see... We don't know his genealogy. How important is it to a Jew to know your genealogy? Right? You've got to know what tribe you came from. You have to put order to it. In fact, Abraham's genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. Matthew wrote about that. Luke wrote about it. Luke brought, brought Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Because to a Jew, it matters where you come from. So here the king of righteousness, the king of peace, has no mother, father. We don't know where he came from. And in fact, we don't know where he went. Because we don't have any indication that he ever died. Who is Melchizedek? Who is this one? And who do you think that the writer of Hebrews is alluding to? Jesus, the Messiah. This is referred to in theology as a theophany. God coming in the present to us, a pre-incarnate Christ, before Christ put on flesh and blood. There was an appearance of this Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Abraham recognized that he had to bow before this king. How many of you remember that Abraham entertained angels when they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So Abraham was used to conversation with God. He was used to conversation with spiritual beings and so forth. Well, he came into contact with Melchizedek, be he a man, be he uh, the presence of Christ, whatever he is, the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is exactly the priesthood of Jesus. And that's who we're talking about. Now, just think how great he was, the writer goes on to say. Just think how great he was, because we're talking about Father Abraham, and Abraham is probably the greatest man besides Moses to the Hebrews, because he's the father. So just think how great Melchizedek was, the writer goes on. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people. That is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. In one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid a tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. What does all that mean? He's putting an equation together. 
he's telling you something about Melchizedek's glory and honor, Abraham and the tribe of Levi. Let's unpack this a little bit so that you get this, okay? All right, now, there's a real simple principle. The greater blesses the lesser, would you not say? Would you be in agreement with that? The one who lays hands on and pronounces blessing is greater than the one receiving. Abraham paid a tenth, a tithe, to Melchizedek. Now, what tithe did he pay? Where did he get that tithe? Because this is before the law. There's no representation of a tithe at all uh, in the Old Testament before this. Uh, Jacob, you know, gave a tithe unto the Lord of, of, at one time of a cattle group that he had prayed for. But in this situation, Abraham's giving a tithe of all the treasury that he took from the five kings when he plundered them and got uh, his nephew back, Lot. And so out of that storehouse of treasury, he's coming back, and he sees the king of Salem, and he gives a tenth of it unto Melchizedek. And that's giving honor to the one who is greater than Abraham. So now the writer of Hebrews has to explain the law. The law came along, and the law commanded that Israel was to tithe for the sanctuary use. There was one tribe called Levi. That was the priestly tribe. Through Aaron, the tribe of Levi were those who were to attend the temple ministry. They were to set up the, te the temple. They were to take it down, carry the temple. They were to work as priests in the temple and offer sacrifice. There were 24 divisions of priests. And they were to offer sacrifice in the temple. And then there was a high priest who had to be a Levite who once a year would to go into the Holy of Holies. Well, you see, the Levites, as a tribe, when they went into the Promised Land, they didn't get land. They didn't get crops to grow because their reward was serving God in the temple. That was their inheritance. So the rest of the tribes would have to pay a tithe, 10%, to the priests so that they could survive because they couldn't be out in the fields tending for their family. They had to labor in the temple. So the tithe was established to secure the priesthood for the work in the tabernacle or eventually temple. You understand that? All right. So all of Israel honored the Levitical priesthood by giving a tithe to it. Now what do you do when Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek? Melchizedek is not of the tribe of Levi. And this is way before the tribe of Levi. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Watch this. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. Right? Therefore, Melchizedek's greater than Abraham. Israelites tithe to the Levites. Because they're the priests. And they offer to them to sustain them. Because they intercede on their behalf. The Levites, through Abraham, therefore tithed to Melchizedek. It's called the seminal view. Seminal, we get that from the word semen. The idea that the Levites were in Abraham. Right? Where did all the Jews come from? Abraham. It's the same view that we all descended from whom? Adam. We were in Adam. When Adam sinned, we all inherited that nature of sin. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, Levi, 
the tribe, the entire tribe of Levi was in Abraham. And when Abraham bent his knee before Melchizedek, the entire priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, bowed to a greater priesthood, which was Melchizedek. The Levites are lesser than Melchizedek. What's, why is this so important? Because he's trying to teach Israel, he's trying to help Israel make the dramatic shift from the old covenant into the new covenant, from the old priesthood into the new priesthood. Now that's not easy for them to do. And without a doubt, the lesser person blessed the greater. Melchizedek, oh, let me put it to you this way. What is he trying to say? Jesus is better. Jesus' priesthood is better than the Levitical priesthood. We're going to spend the next number of weeks on this. Do you know why? Well, we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. Let's stay right here. We can get into the why. It takes a good long time to get into the why. But Jesus is better. And one of the most frequently quoted psalms in the New Testament is Psalm 110. If I were to ask you what's your favorite psalm, most of you probably would say Psalm 23 or something like that, right? Lord is my shepherd. Well, to the New Testament church, their favorite psalm was Psalm 110. You should read it. But let's unpack it a little bit. What does basically Psalm 110 say? It says this. Let, let's, let, let me continue in verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood on the basis of the law that was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Holy cow, did you just get that? How do you tell Israel that this law is done? How do you tell Israel, who had an only understanding of one way to God, through the covenant of the shed blood of the animals, through the ministry and administration of the priesthood, how do you tell them that's obsolete? There's now a better priesthood and a better covenant. The law is no longer of effect. How do you shift from that into the new covenant? This is not an easy task. You know the way you do it? is you show them the fulfillment that all of this pointed to. The blood of animals, bulls and goats is nothing like the perfected blood of Jesus Christ. The administration of the priesthood and the bread and the loaves and the candles and the incense is nothing compared to the reality of Him who is the fragrance of God, the light of the world, the bread of life. He came, He's here, He's now. That's my Jesus. He's better than all of this. And that's what he's saying to them. He goes on and he says this, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, Psalm 110, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
You see, that was written by David long time after the Levites and priests were already established. And the writer's saying, why would the Spirit of God tell David to say, there is a better priest coming after the order of Melchizedek when you have an entire Levitical priesthood? What is God trying to say? And that's what he's alluding to. He said, why would God even say there's something better coming when he's got the priesthood? Because there's a better covenant coming. There is Messiah who is coming. And see, this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's using Hebrew scripture going back into the Old Testament and showing them what was being prepared for them. Christ is hidden throughout the entire law and the prophets. How many of you remember the story of the two walking on the Emmaus Road? They're bummed, they're discouraged, they're distraught, right? Jesus was crucified. They don't know what to do. All of a sudden, this man comes up and says, what's up, guys? They said, oh, you haven't heard? We're pretty upset. He says, what? Jesus was crucified. He's dead. He's gone. We thought he was Messiah. And it says that he walked and talked with them all along the way, revealing Messiah, what must have been done, and how Messiah must have been crucified and risen from the dead for them to understand. And he said he took them through a review of the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. There is everything in the Old Testament refers to Jesus. Everything. 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 Am I overstating it? Everything. How many of you, how many of you, this was a diabolical plot by dentists. How many of you, uh, sorry, is Steven Stricker here? How many of you, I remember as a kid, I used to love to go to the dentist for one thing. Two things. I remembered the toy at the end, Yes. The first thing was the Highlights magazine. How many of you remember Highlights magazine, right? Right? And you searched diligently to find one that nobody finished because it had a hidden picture thing in there. How many of you remember the hidden picture in the Highlights magazine? Right? Right? Younger people under 20 are going like, what? What, <laughs> what is that? This was a design by Dennis. They had a conference in, in Sweden, I'm sure, to figure out how do we get... It's like the Happy Meal for McDonald's. How do we get kids here? It was a genius design because the, the hidden picture thing in the Highlights magazine was what I... I didn't even think about what they were going to do to my mouth. All I thought about is there was a banana in the tree. And they call your name. No, not yet. Someone else is going to find it. And I don't think they made, they said they let you buy Highlight Magazine. You could have it sent to your house. I don't think that's true. I think you could only go to the dentist to get it. Or at least all the parents were in cooperation. Don't get the Highlight Magazine. Send the card in, but don't send it. And you would look, how many of you remember this? You'd look for the hidden picture in the Highlight thing. And, it would, oh, I found it. Oh, and you'd be missing one. Where was it? And whoever drew it, was a lousy artist, because you'd look for the answer, that doesn't look like an octopus. But you remember that? That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do with these guys. Jesus is in everything. You remember that story about Abraham Melchizedek? Well, guess what? You remember that story about the Levites? Well, guess what? There's one greater, right? 
And so that's what he's doing. He's telling them that this one Melchizedek is in fact the coming Messiah, the one that they were waiting for, a priesthood that is even greater than the Levitical priesthood, a priesthood that is in reality in the heavenlies between God and men and not made out of wood covered with gold. Cheap imitations. What I wouldn't do for a table covered in gold. But compared to Jesus... This is a cheap imitation. This doesn't represent the glory of God. It's the best they could do. God bless them. It was their instruction by God. But there's one coming who is greater. And that is Melchizedek. Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. Now let's go on. He says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Now listen, you better have a better place of standing if you're going to say that the law is useless to a group of Jewish people. You better be ready to defend yourself with a better argument. Right? How dare he tell the Jewish community of this day that Jesus, the, the law is no good. It's in effect. It, it, uh, it's weak and useless. Now, how many of you remember what Paul said in Romans? For what the law was unable to do because of the weakness of the flesh. We could not live up to the holy standard of God. The law could never save anybody because there is not a single person that could live to the perfection of the law. So we needed salvation. We needed deliverance. We needed help. We needed someone to deliver us from our fallen nature so that we could live up to the righteous expectation of God. And that is Jesus. And he goes on to say this, For the law made nothing, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Other priests became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That's from Psalm 110. You are a priest of Melchizedek. I swear by who I am. Remember we studied that oath a couple weeks ago? I swear. God is swearing by. There's nothing higher to swear by. He's saying, as I am God, this priesthood will never change. This is it, folks. Why do you think when Jesus said, it is finished into thy hands I commit my spirit all of a sudden the earth shook the sky was uh, exploding with thunder and the temple veil was torn from top to bottom why why I mean that holy of holies is where the ark of the covenant the law of God was held God ripped it open and said there's something better right there on that hill hanging there's a better curtain the body of Jesus Christ that will present a way into the true reality of the holy of holies it's better he's better all the way and his priesthood will never change he didn't get picked by lot you didn't vote him in he is the son of God the son of righteousness king of glory his priesthood is not going to change. He never tires. He never wearies. He's not waiting for someone to replace him. This priesthood will last forever. One Levite would be high priest, and then he'd die. Guess what they'd have to do? Get another one. And guess what would happen to that guy? Dead. 
they'd get another one. Guess what happened with the next guy? He died. They all died. What about Jesus? Uh-uh, no way, no how. It's over. He is the king of a better priesthood forever. Now listen. Because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. He is the guarantee. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Wow. The law is the law of sin and death. But Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. And he is able to save completely, to the uttermost, those who are being sanctified. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's what Melchizedek points to, an eternal priesthood. Now let's unpack this verse real quick this morning so that you understand the weight of it. You got some understanding of Melchizedek, the Levitical priesthood, the temple sacrifice, all this stuff. What does it mean for me? You have a high priest that ever lives, that is always living to make intercession for you. He is able. Somebody say that. He is able. He is able. Say it again. Oh, we've got to keep that in our heart and mind. No matter what you're going through, my God is able. He is able. He is able to do what? To save. Save a little bit. He's able to save just a little bit of you. He's able to save maybe from your head up. He's able to save from the minute you got saved until when you're dead but the first part forget about it no he is able to redeem he is able to deliver he is able to save he is able to heal what's the next word completely completely another word perfectly the word save is sozo in the greek the word sozo means to make whole to heal to deliver from one spot to the end. To sanctify and make righteous. To make holy. To make pure. To heal. To deliver. Sozo is a big word. What the church has done when, when it's trying to get people saved, we say, you know, you need to accept Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. And we've minimized what sozo means. We've minimized salvation to just mean repeat this prayer and your sins will be gone. But the, the, the understanding of sozo, salvation, deliverance, healing, restoration, reconciliation, is a huge word in the New Testament. And that means a new creation, a new beginning that is eternal. It is full. It is complete. Lacking nothing. That's our salvation. A lot of people, yeah, 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 I got saved. Yeah, sins are forgiven living my life as best I can, getting through as best I can. Wow, you don't understand the depth of what this salvation is. Because I'm telling you what, he is not a God that's just off on a cloud somewhere making the new Jerusalem. I go to prepare a place for you. 
Jesus, someone needs you. I'm busy. I'm on the roof here. I'm making a house. What do you want? No. Why? He can save completely those who come to God through him because what? He always lives for intercession. And in other words, he's eternal. He will never die. He will never tire. He is not changing. He is immutable. He is permanent. He is perpetual. And he is unchanging. Permanent, perpetual, and unchanging in what ministry? What is the ministry of a high priest? Mediation. Now let's get this right. Let's get this right. If I could linger just a little bit longer here. This is where most believers uh, get it wrong. Most of us consider that Jesus' mediation is between us and the Father. Because basically the Father is just a grouchy old man. He's just sick of these people. Throws lightning bolts. Dad, cut it out. Come on, please. Stop it. Oh, Lord. No, really. Ah, they didn't tithe enough. Boom, car accident. (laughs) Dad, come on, please, don't do that. That's how we think. We think that Jesus is interceding between us and the Father. Jesus, listen to their prayers. They're good. I don't know. No, really, listen. It's not loud enough. Not enough, not enough punch. No, I died for them. They're good. Now, I'm exaggerating that, and I'm being a little bit silly, but I'm taking it to the nth degree because when you have a sense and you're praying to God, you're saying, oh, Jesus, would you tell the Father? You know, how many people pray to other saints and other people because God's just too holy to to hear our answer? When we have a high priest willing to hear. Listen, could I ask you a question? Who sent Jesus to save the world? The Father. So loved the world that God gave his son. God so loved the world, he gave the son. Now, whose idea was it to redeem mankind? God the Father. Now, let me ask you this. Once the blood was represented, and Paul says this, I implore you, be reconciled to the Father, because the Father is fully reconciled to us. Now, according to the book of Romans, who justifies us? The Father. You know what the word justification means? Case dismissed just as if you didn't sin. So if the Father's the one who justified you by the blood of Jesus, which he provided and commanded to take place, and he's the one who justifies you, he's the one who says you're forgiven, why would Jesus need to intercede to him on our behalf? It's already done. He's fully reconciled to us. May I tell you that the eternal ministry of Christ is not necessarily between us and the Father, but between the Father to us. Jesus is constantly interceding to us. He's saying, people, come on. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit is groaning inside of us for the will of God to be birthed in our decisions. Jesus is interceding on your behalf day and night. He's waking you up in the morning saying, I love you, I am with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's interceding when you doubt and you can't figure it out. He said, I'm your answer, I'm here for you. You can depend on me. The Father sending him, the Father speaking, the Spirit is birthing. All of this is from God towards us. It is an eternal ministry that will not change. It doesn't depend on your faith or lack of faith. It is his faithful ministry to you. 
My high priest never quits on me. I've quit on him. John said, though we are faithless, he is forever faithful. He never quits. He never tires of my ignorance. He never tires of my constant foolish and mistakes and sin. He intercedes. He ministers. My high priest is counseling me. My high priest is leading me into all truth. My high priest is delivering me, setting me free. Amen. So when he says there's a better high priest, he's talking to Israel because this high priest finished the whole sacrificial system. That was done at the cross. That mediation between you and God, that thing's done. Now it's a mediation of God towards you, of perfection, of deliverance, of healing and restoration. Hallelujah. We have a high priest that's of the order of Melchizedek here to minister, and he laid hands on Abraham, and he said, Father, fortify the promise and the blessing in this man. Abraham was blessed. Your high priest lays hands on you by the Spirit of God who dwells in you always to abide and lead you, and God blesses you in Jesus' name. Now that's a high priest I can trust in. Amen? Come on, let's give praise to God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.